Hi, this is Mark O'Connell, and you're listening to Far-Fetched, a podcast about my largely unpaid but mostly enjoyable career as a writer. Hi, welcome to Chapter 4 of Far-Fetched. I almost didn't think I'd get this far, but here we are, four episodes in. Thanks for being with me. If you listen to episode three, then you know that in that installment, I started out a dramatic reading of a script I wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation entitled Between Two Darknesses. This was the script that got me in the door at Star Trek, and I'll be telling a lot more about those stories a few episodes later in Far-Fetched. For now, though, we're going to finish the dramatic reading. I had just reached page 54, and something had actually started happening in the script at page 54. Here's the setup. The Starship Enterprise has been summoned by Starfleet Command to go investigate the disappearance of a Klingon battlecruiser. The reason that the Enterprise is sent is that because, as always, the Enterprise is the only ship available in that area to go look at the danger. For some reason, this always happens over and over again with the Enterprise. They're always the closest ship to whatever bad thing is happening. I think that all the other starship captains deliberately keep their ships far, far, far away from where all the dangerous things happen so they can just tell Starfleet, hey, I, you know, I don't know what happened, but we just ended up way the hell out here in the middle of nowhere. Why don't you send Picard? He's always up for it. He's never got anything going on. And so Starfleet contacts the Enterprise and says, sorry, Jean-Luc, you drew the short straw again. You get to go check out the danger. And Picard just says... Very well. Engage. And the story begins. So, here we are. This Enterprise has been sent out into deep, deep space to investigate the disappearance of a Klingon battlecruiser. When the Enterprise arrives at the last known location of the Klingon ship, they find a debris field. Sad to say, it looks as though the Klingon ship has been utterly destroyed. And even worse... It looks as though the Klingon ship was destroyed from the inside, not from something external. This is very puzzling to the crew of the Enterprise. A real mystery. Well, shortly after discovering the wreckage, the Enterprise discovers a relic, an artifact, just floating in space, that appears to have been constructed by the Vulcans many, many centuries ago. But when Captain Picard contacts the Vulcans on planet Vulcan, They deny any knowledge of this artifact. It couldn't possibly be theirs. They have no idea what Picard is talking about. So that's a dead end. So Captain Picard and his crew have to figure out a way to communicate with this artifact. And when we left off on page 54, they had just established contact. And here were the first words uttered by this artifact. This is Sentinel. After the long silence, the response is almost shocking. Picard hesitates a moment before speaking. Sentinel, this is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. There is a long delay before the Sentinel responds. Sentinel, what is Jean-Luc Picard? Picard, I am a human, the captain of the Federation Starship. Sentinel, what is Federation? Once again, Picard hesitates. He had not anticipated such an elementary communication. Picard. The Federation is a union of almost 3,000 worlds and civilizations, one of which is the planet Vulcan. There is another long pause as Picard waits for the Sentinel to reply. Sentinel. You are Wayfarer? Picard. Wayfarers? Yes, yes, we are travelers. Sentinel. You are different than others. Picard, others, do you mean Klingons? Sentinel, affirmative. Wow, it's so fun to say affirmative like that. But I digress. Picard, yes, we are different than the Klingons, but we know them. Can you tell us what happened to them? Sentinel, 
they sent you? Riker shakes his head. Riker, it's almost as bad as arguing with a three-year-old. Picard, yes, they sent us. Can you tell us what happened to them? Another long pause, waiting for the Sentinel to reply. Sentinel, they went away. You must go away. Picard and Riker look at each other. Riker, a warning or a threat? Picard, Sentinel, why must we go away? Sentinel, there is danger. Picard, danger from what? We do not apprehend any danger. Sentinel, there is danger. It is nothing. Picard, it is nothing. What is nothing? Sentinel, the danger. Picard is growing irritated, clenching and unclenching his fists. Riker, Captain, may I? Picard turns to him. Picard, be my guest. Riker steps up to the view screen as Picard sits. Riker, Sentinel, what are you? A long pause while the Sentinel thinks. Sentinel, I am the guard. Riker, I see. And over what do you stand guard? Sentinel, over nothing. Picard smiles wryly. Picard, excellent work, number one. This has been very educational. Riker hesitates for a moment, then decides to ignore the jibe. Riker, Sentinel, were you constructed by Vulcans? Sentinel, affirmative. Riker, when were you constructed? Sentinel, unknown. Riker, why were you constructed? Sentinel, to stand guard. That has been established. Riker frowns. Riker, I take it back. This is worse than arguing with a three-year-old. Sentinel, the others, the Klingons, why did they go away? Sentinel, Sentinel told them to go away. That is only function. Riker, your only function is to tell wayfarers to go away. Sentinel, affirmative. Riker, well, you're doing a very good job. Tell me, Sentinel, what happens to a wayfarer who does not go away? There is a long silence as the Sentinel cogitates. Wayfarer is defeated by that over which Sentinel stands guard. Riker, and that is? Sentinel and Riker, nothing. Riker sighs disgustedly and sits down. Picard, and this destroyed 500 Klingons? Riker, it drove them insane. Data. Captain, Commander, may I make a suggestion? Picard. Please do, Mr. Data. Data. Sir, the Sentinel was constructed and programmed by Vulcans. The reasoning that the Sentinel has employed appears to be illogical, but we know that that cannot be. Therefore, we should consider the possibility that the Sentinel is being quite literal when it says that it stands guard over nothing. It takes a few moments for Data's train of thought to register, but when it does, Picard seems to have a sudden realization of the truth. Picard. Yes, I see. Mr. Data, what is the definition of nothing in the Vulcan Usek language? Data enters the word into the computer and then reads the definition out loud. Data. Nothing. Nothingness. The void. The absence of all quantity. A metaphysical entity devoid of being and opposed to being. The realization slowly spreads across the bridge. Picard stands slowly and approaches the viewer. Picard. Sentinel, do you stand guard over nothingness? Sentinel. Affirmative. Picard takes a deep, trembling breath. The mystery has been solved. Interior Worf's quarters. Worf's eyes spring open and he sits up abruptly from where he lay sedated. His eyes are wide with fear. Worf, no! Interior sickbay. Counselor Troy's eyes spring open as well. Although she does not sit up in her bed, her eyes, like Worf's, are wide with fear. Troy, yes! FX shot. The Enterprise stationary in space, with the Sentinel hanging off its bow. Data, voiceover. Personal log of Lieutenant Commander Data, stardate 4818.8. The Enterprise has now been maintaining position relative to the Sentinel for over 24 hours, in the grip of a type of mental paralysis that I am unable as yet to comprehend. Interior Data's Quarters Data continues his log entry, seated at the scientific console in his quarters. 
Data continued. We have learned nothing new about the Sentinel. We have not contacted either the Klingon High Council or the planet Vulcan. The captain believes that there would be little point since we cannot give the High Council a complete report, and the Vulcans have already denied any knowledge of the artifact. In point of fact, the captain has not made a command decision for almost 20 hours. In that time, Lieutenant Worf has awakened from the anesthetic administered by Dr. Crusher only to... Interior Worf's quarters. Data's voiceover continues as we see Worf sitting cross-legged on the floor in the middle of his dimly lit quarters. He is robed in a simple Klingon gown and holds both arms straight out at his sides, a heavy metal sphere in the palm of each hand. The expression on his face is serene. His eyes are closed and his lips are curled into a near smile. Data, voiceover, continued. To plunge immediately into a state of primitive Klingon spiritual meditation. He appears to have deliberately severed all ties to objective reality. Interior sickbay. Counselor Troy lies on her cot in sickbay, eyes closed, curled into the fetal position. Data, voiceover, continued. Counselor Troy has been diagnosed as suffering from acute reactive depression. Dr. Crusher reports that the counselor's condition is deteriorating. I cannot help but think that the passionate psyches of both the Beta Zeds and Klingons have left Counselor Troy and Lieutenant Worf unusually vulnerable to whatever force we are encountering. Interior Data's quarters. Data continues his log entry. Data continued. The past 24 hours have seen a rapid deterioration in the psychological state of the crew. What I perceive to be an abnormally high level of anxiety on the ship has caused more and more of the crew. Interior ship's chapel. An effusive preacher addresses a standing room only crowd in the ship's chapel. In the front row are Chief O'Brien and his wife. Data, voiceover continued. To turn openly towards the ancient human opiates of religion. Interior 10 forward. 10 forward is unusually crowded and unusually noisy. There's an abundance of synthahol in sight, and the officers are partaking of it freely. Data, voiceover, continued. Drunkenness. At the bar, Lieutenant Commander LaForge flirts with a female officer and they leave together. Data, voiceover, continued. And carnality. Interior Data's quarters. Data continues his log entry. Data continued. I believe that these are all classic human coping responses, and yet I am surprised at the obvious inadequacies of these psychological refuges, for they would not seem to be getting us anywhere. As for the void within the Sentinel, we have determined to the best of our abilities that it is there. I should say that it is not there. Interior Bridge. The image of the Sentinel remains on the main viewer. Data stands at the science console at the rear of the bridge, working diligently at something, and then apparently coming up empty. He stands and speaks to Captain Picard, who stands with his back to Data, gazing at the viewer. They are alone on the bridge. Data. Captain Picard, sir, I have now reprogrammed our sensors into 162 different variations, none of which has been able to penetrate beyond the outer shell of the Sentinel. Picard turns to face Data, revealing himself to be unshaven. Picard, analysis, Mr. Data? Data, Captain, as I have told you before, the sensors will not sense anything within the Sentinel, because there is nothing there to sense. Picard, yes, well, what about a Class Three probe? We could beam it into a point within the Sentinel, and it could tell us what's in the void. Data takes a moment to verify something at his console, then looks back at Picard. Data, I am sorry, sir. But that is impossible. There are no coordinates inside the Sentinel. There is no point within the Sentinel to which we could beam the probe. And even if there were, there would be nothing that the probe could show us. Picard sits at his chair and nods reluctantly, his eyes returning to the image on the viewer. Picard. Nothingness, Data. The void. Don't you wonder what it looks like? Data cocks his head. Data. Sir... I do not imagine that there is anything to see. Picard, yes, but there must be something. At this data cocks his head once more, and then circles around the bridge to take a seat in Riker's chair next to Picard. Data, sir, would I be correct in assuming that you are having difficulty grasping the concept of the void? Picard, well, theoretically I understand it, Data. It's standard academic philosophy. But you see, it's not supposed to be real. A logical construct, yes, but not real, not hanging in space before us like the gates of hell. Data. But to me, sir, the existence of the void is neither surprising nor unreasonable. 
Perhaps you could explain to me why you and the rest of the crew find it so. I suppose it is because all living beings, no matter how well they barricade themselves behind faith and reason, have the lurking fear that nothingness is the cold and final reality, that life leads us all inexorably to a death that is nothingness. The significance of the sentinel data is that nothingness is real. Picard trails off, unable or unwilling to continue his line of thinking. Data regards him with concern. Data. Sir, the Vulcans who built the Sentinel would seem to have persevered. Perhaps we should contact Vulc... Picard throws up his hand. Picard. No, Mr. Data. The Vulcans have already proven themselves to be of no use to us in this matter. We won't trouble them again. Data nods resignedly. Yes, sir. They both sit in silence for a few minutes, Picard looking at the image of the Sentinel and Data looking at Picard. Picard finally stands, neglecting to tug his tunic into place, and steps toward the main viewer as Data watches. Picard. Sentinel, this is Locutus of B- Picard stops cold, suddenly aware of what he was saying. He was about to identify himself as Locutus, his Borg alter ego. Data eyes him keenly as he looks down at the floor, takes a deep breath, and then, after a long while, looks back up, breathes in sharply, and continues with a slight tremble in his voice. Picard. Sentinel, this is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. Sentinel, reading. Picard, the void within you, do you constrict it? There is a pause while the Sentinel cogitates. Sentinel, unknown, explain. Picard, do you hold it in, prevent it from spreading? Sentinel, unknown, the void is stable at present. Picard sighs. At present, how very reassuring. Sentinel, is the void fixed or can it move? Data, excellent question, sir. Sentinel, unknown. Picard to Sentinel, how should I know? I only work here. Data, sir? Picard, nothing, Data. Sentinel, you win. Picard turns away from the viewer to face Data. Picard, I'm going to my quarters to lie down. Data stands quickly, concerned that the captain is abandoning his post. Data. Sir, who are you leaving in command? Picard stops and looks around the empty bridge, frowning. Picard. In command of what? Data. Captain, the Enterprise still requires a minimum complement of officers and crew to monitor and maintain critical functions. Picard sighs disgustedly. Picard. Well, where's Riker? Data. Computer, locate Commander Riker. Computer. Commander Riker is in 10 forward. Data looks at the captain, awaiting orders. Picard, well, go get him and tell him I said he has the con. Data, yes, sir. Data taps his communicator as Picard turns to leave the bridge. Data, Commander Riker. There is no answer, so he tries again. Data, Commander Riker. Again, no answer. Data, sir, there seems to be a mal... Data looks up to report to Picard and finds that he is alone on the bridge. Picard has left. Data continued. Function. After a moment's confusion, Data steps up to the turbolift, but before he enters, he looks back upon the strange sight of the empty bridge. Interior passageway. Data steps out of the turbolift, only to find a couple necking in the passageway. He gives them a curious look, then steps past them and walks briskly down the passageway to 10 forward. Outside the door to 10 forward, he finds Chief O'Brien sitting on the floor, his back against the bulkhead, a bottle of Irish whiskey synthanol in his hand, singing. O'Brien... Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. He looks up as Data approaches. O'Brien. Ah, Commander Data, just the android I've been looking for. Would you join me in a toast to the green hills of Ireland? Data. No, thank you, Chief O'Brien. I am looking for Commander Riker. O'Brien. Riker? What do you want that pompous ass for? He's no fun. Data. Someone must take command of the Enterprise. O'Brien. That's all? He's in there. Data turns to enter 10 forward, then stops and looks back at O'Brien. Data. Chief O'Brien, does Kiko know that you are here? O'Brien thinks for a moment, then shrugs his shoulders for comic effect and whispers to Data. I don't know, but don't you tell her. O'Brien gives him a wink, which Data does not understand. Data enters the lounge as O'Brien laughs out loud and resumes his singing. Interior 10 forward. Data stops at his first full view of the lounge. He has never seen it this full, nor this raucous. 
He coughs on the smoky air and waves the smoke away. There at the bar, looking as though he were in command of it, sits Riker. Data steps up to the bar and stands next to him. Data. Commander Riker, you are to report to the bridge. You are in command. Riker looks up from his drink and gives Data a sideways look. Riker. Mr. Data. Riker does not complete his statement. He just sits there, looking at Data. Data. Yes, sir? Riker. Shrugs. Nothing. I was just saying your name. Data. Commander Riker, you are in command of the Enterprise. Riker. I heard you the first time, Data. I'm choosing to ignore you. Data. Sir, this is a direct order from Captain Picard. Riker. Oh, is it really? And I'm supposed to just drop everything and trot up to the bridge? Data. Yes, sir. I believe that is your duty. Riker. Duty. I'm sick of being bound and gagged by duty. Data. Sir, the Enterprise cannot function for long without a commander and a crew. Already our communicator net is malfunctioning, and I believe that is only a portent of things to come. Captain Picard has officially transferred command to you. I would not wish to report back to the captain that you have disobeyed his command. Riker. Sighs. I suppose there's some reason why he can't command his own ship? Data. Yes, sir. I believe there is. Like Captain Korge and the crew of the Patesh, he seems to have been psychologically incapacitated by his understanding of the void within the Sentinel. Data looks around the lounge, then back at Riker. Data. Continued. Data. Continued. That would seem to be the condition of virtually every member of the crew. Nonetheless, the Enterprise requires an effective crew and commander if it is to remain functioning. If Captain Picard cannot fulfill his duty, then the duty falls to you. Riker ignores him, choosing instead to summon the barkeep. Riker. Barkeep, give me another one of these pathetic synthahall time bombs. Riker looks at Data with a smirk. Riker. You know what's really lousy about serving on a starship, among other things? You have to put up with this pansy computer-generated, pure-as-the-driven snow synthahall. No kick, no hangover, no nothing. Even the name is terrible, synthahall. The barkeeper brings him another, from which he takes a gulp, ignoring his own diatribe against the stuff. Data watches with concern. Data. Sir, I do not wish to report your insubordination. Since you are not compelled by duty, I feel I should warn you that by disobeying a direct order, you are jeopardizing your prospects for ever getting your own command. Riker looks again at Data. He smiles. Riker. Data, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Command is a joke. Data is taken aback. Data. Sir, I believe the Synthahall may be doing your talking. Riker. No, it's not. This is Will Riker talking, and I know exactly what I'm saying. You don't know what it's like, Data, and you never will. You enter Starfleet Academy full of dreams and ambitions and this feeling of power... A feeling that you yourself can make all these dreams come true. You feel as though you can change the universe with your own two hands. Then you get your first posting and you set sail for the stars. And for the first few missions, you still feel that the universe is yours to do with as you please. Then something happens. You begin to see how big the universe really is. And you look down at your hands and you see how tiny they are. You realize that you can't change a thing. You encounter races like the Shrike and the Grilla, who'd rather lose out on everything that the Federation has to offer than just put aside their infantile war. Then finally you find the Void, and you realize that everything the Federation has to offer is dust in the wind. Why shouldn't the Shrike and the Grilla choose death over life? It gives them an easy way out. And you expect me to take command of the Enterprise? Do you honestly believe that there is any point in any of us sitting up on that bridge, Data? Data. Yes, sir, I believe there is. Riker shakes his head at him. Riker. You're wrong, Data. You will never understand the utter futility of it all. Data. That is not what you said at my last trumpet lesson. Riker stops with his drink hovering at his lips. After a moment of doubt, he decides to ignore Data's comment, and he downs the drink. Finding that his jibe accomplished nothing, Data pauses, then finally comes up with a solution to his situation. Data. Sir, since I have failed to compel you to assume command, I can offer you an alternative to insubordination. You are free to transfer command of the ship to me. As acting commander, I will choose to disregard the unusual circumstances of the transfer. Riker. Data, in the words of the great man, make it so. If you want it, you can have it. Data. 
Thank you, sir. If you will excuse me, I have work to do. I must attempt to assemble a crew. Data turns to leave, and Riker calls out after him. Riker, okay, but when you get sick of the rat race, come on back and I'll buy you a drink. Riker turns back to his drink, realizes it's empty, and calls out for another. Riker, barkeep! Interior engineering. Data enters engineering to find it all but deserted. Data, Jordy? The usual noises of engineering sound somehow different now, fluctuating, trembling, as though something were off balance. Data, Lieutenant Commander LaForge, is anyone here? Data walks through the area and rounds a corner to find a scruffy-looking ensign at his post near the warp engines. Data, Ensign. The ensign looks up from his chair. Data, Ensign, where is Lieutenant Commander LaForge? The ensign looks around dumbly and shrugs. Data gives up on him and steps over to the main control console. Data, Ensign, when was the last time you checked the ship's power levels? Data looks up, but the ensign has deserted his post. Data, Ensign? Data has no time to ponder his disappearance. He returns his attention to the controls. Data, Computer, locate Lieutenant Commander LaForge. Computer, I am unable to locate Lieutenant Commander LaForge. Data, Computer, is this because of the failure of the communication net? Computer, affirmative. Data gives up. LaForge will have to wait. He goes to work at once on the controls, doing the work of the entire engineering crew, bringing the power levels in line, and softening the trembling sounds coming from the warp engines. When he is finished, he looks up and around at the empty engineering deck for a moment, then hurries out. Interior sickbay. Dr. Crusher sits behind her desk, alone in the quiet sickbay. In front of her are a picture of her late husband and one of Wesley. She is weeping silently. Data enters and stops when he sees she is crying. After a moment, he addresses her softly. Data, Dr. Crusher. It takes a few moments for Data's voice to register. When it does, she looks up at him, wiping tears from her eyes. Crusher, Data? Data, yes, doctor, may I enter? She shrugs and almost laughs. Crusher, I, I don't care what you do, Data. Data considers her reply, then nods. Data, then I will enter. He steps into her office and takes a seat next to her. Data, doctor, I am in need of help. Both Captain Picard and Commander Riker have relinquished command of the Enterprise. As acting commander, I am attempting to assemble a skeleton crew to keep the ship running and to get us safely away from the Sentinel and to Starbase 23, under impulse power if necessary. Will you help? Crusher. I can't. I can't help anybody. Not even myself. Data considers her for several moments. Data. Doctor, with your permission, I would like to access your medical computer. Perhaps by exploring the psychological histories of the crew... I can find out who among us has the mental fortitude to continue functioning under these circumstances. Crusher shakes her head slowly. Crusher, you don't need my permission, Data. I told you I don't care what you do. What do you think you'll find, anyway? Data looks up at her from where he has already begun searching the files. He thinks for a moment, remembering something. Data, I hope I will find someone with the imagination or the will to live simply for the sake of living. Data goes back to work at the terminal. Crusher lays a hand on Data's, stopping his search. Crusher, the psychological profiles won't tell you that. Look at mine. Data uses his free hand to access Dr. Crusher's psychological file. He reads it quickly, then looks up at her. Data, you are in perfect psychological health, Doctor. Moreover, personality tests reveal you to be unusually optimistic. You are seldom surprised by trouble. You believe you have control over the future. You have heightened powers of appreciation. Crusher nods sadly. Crusher, that's right. And yet right now, I can't think of even the faintest reason to continue, Data. I feel that I've sunk deep into a pit, and I'm down so deep I can't even see the light above me anymore. I, I am that person you just described, but she can't help me anymore. Dr. Crusher's attention slowly wanders to Data's hand in hers. To his extreme puzzlement, she begins to gently stroke his hand. Crusher, we're all so alone, Data. That's what I've been sitting here realizing. We're all utterly and completely alone, and that's all there is. I've always believed that someday Jack and I would be reunited in some way, that when I died, our souls would be rejoined. But now, Data, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that when I die, there will be nothing. No Jack, no me, just nothing. 
Dr. Crusher reaches out and embraces Data. He embraces her in return and tries to comfort her. Data, I am sorry. I wish I could help you, but I cannot. Data gently withdraws from the embrace and takes her hands in his. Data, you must help yourself. You must find a way to live. She shakes her head, her face draped by despair. Crusher, I can't. It's too great a burden. I know now what Deanna felt from the Klingon's log. Data lets go of her arms as she falls back against the desk and resumes her crying. Not knowing what else to do, he stands and leaves her. Instead of leaving the sickbay, however, he goes further inside, to Deanna Troy's room. As he turns the corner, he stops and looks up. Deanna has hung herself. Interior sickbay. Data appears in the doorway to Crusher's office, Deanna Troy in his arms. Data. Dr. Crusher. Once again, she does not look right away. Data. Dr. Crusher, please listen. She looks up at Data and stares. Crusher, what, what's wrong? Data, it is Counselor Troy. She has committed suicide. She has stopped breathing, but there is still a faint pulse. I believe there is still time to save her. But the doctor doesn't move. She just shakes her head helplessly. Crusher, no, Data, I can't. She's better off. Data, doctor, I have now lost her pulse. You must begin resuscitating her. Crusher rises to her feet in extreme agitation. Crusher, No, Data. She's better off. Isn't she better off? Data. No, Doctor. She is not. It is better to live. Crusher glares at him, enraged by his impassive resistance. She wants to scream at him, but something stops her. She actually thinks about what he has said, and she looks at Troy's body in his arms. Something happens behind her eyes, and she suddenly and very clearly apprehends the situation. She swallows the lump in her throat and stares at Data with a questioning look that passes as quickly as it appeared. Crusher, get her to a bed. Within seconds, Data has gotten Troy to a bed, and Dr. Crusher has begun to administer cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Data stands clear, but watches intently as the doctor tries to breathe life back into Deanna's form. Crusher, you perform the heart massage. I'll breathe. She makes room for Data to take over massaging Deanna's heart, while she continues giving mouth-to-mouth after every four of Data's pumps. Finally, when they seem to be getting nowhere, Deanna's breathing returns. Dr. Crusher quickly puts an oxygen mask on her and watches for a few moments, as though making sure it will hold. She finally looks up at Data. Crusher, she's back. Data, I am grateful, Doctor. Crusher, I'm grateful to you, Data. Data, Doctor, I have never known you to use manual resuscitation here in sickbay. Why did you choose to use it now? Crusher, confused. I I didn't choose to. I, I needed to. Pause. It wasn't a case of restoring Deanna's life. It was more a case of giving her life. I needed to give her life. I can't explain it. Data. Perhaps you do not need to. Dr. Crusher quickly checks Deanna's vital signs. Crusher. Her vitals are stabilizing. Pause. Data. I would have let her die. Data. But you did not. You found a way to live, and you were able to give life to Counselor Troy. Dr. Crusher ponders this, and it seems to bring her great joy. Crusher, yes, I was. Data, will the counselor be all right? Crusher, yes. Data, will you be all right? She smiles at Data. Yes, I think I will be. Data, good. I will need your help. I must return to the bridge to prepare the ship for the journey to Starbase 23. Please remain here with Counselor Troy. She may need your help if she regains consciousness. I will signal you when we are ready to proceed. Crusher, all right. She smiles and nods and Data turns to leave. But Dr. Crusher takes his hand and stops him. Crusher, Data. Data turns back to her. Data, Doctor? Crusher, thank you. You gave me life, you know. Data appears pleased. Data, you are quite welcome. He turns and leaves sickbay as Dr. Crusher returns her attention to Deanna. Interior bridge. Data appears on the empty bridge and looks almost disappointed, as though he had hoped that Captain Picard would have returned. Data. Computer. Locate Captain Picard. Computer. Captain Picard is on holodeck one, not to be disturbed. Data steps down to the lower deck and stands before the main viewer. He considers the sentinel still hanging there, then addresses the computer again. Data. Computer. Display the status of the following items. Life support, warp drive, and impulse drive. The readings of a thousand systems and subsystems cascades down the main viewer. Data absorbs it all in moments. Data. Computer. I have found 37 vital systems to be operating outside of acceptable limits. Can any of them be brought back within limit? Computer. 
Five cannot be restored without complete shutdown and Starbase maintenance. 32 can be restored to operating parameters if systems are fully manned. Data. Can we safely engage warp power if systems are not fully manned? Computer. Negative. Data. Impulse power? Computer. Affirmative. Data. Probability of life support failure if systems are not fully manned? Computer. 92%. Atmospheric variances have not been corrected for 15 hours. Data immediately circles around to the rear of the bridge, where he can access as many vital systems as are available to him. As he works, he finds himself interrupted by an incoming signal. He looks up on the main viewer. Data. Computer, on the main viewer, please. On the viewer, there appears the imposing figure of a Vulcan elder, Tepeth. Data. Greetings. Tepeth bows her head in a formal greeting. Tepeth. Greetings. I am Tepeth of Vulcan. Data. I am Lieutenant Commander Data, Acting Commander of the Starship Enterprise. Tepeth. I wish to speak with your Captain Picard. Data. Captain Picard is indisposed. I am in command. The vulcanized Data keenly before nodding. Tepeth. Very well. Then I will speak with you. Data. As you wish. Tepeth. We, the elders of Vulcan, have been apprised of a communication between Captain Picard and Selleck of the Vulcan Scientific Area. Data. I was present for that communication. Tepeth. It concerned the origins of an artifact. Data. Yes. We had found indications that the artifact was of Vulcan origin, but Selak denied this. Tepeth nods gravely. Tepeth. Selak did not know the truth. The Sentinel is ours. Data is caught short by Tepeth's frank admission. Data. Then you know of the void. Tepeth. Yes, we know of it. Data. Do you also know that the Void has brought about the destruction of a Klingon cruiser? Tepeth. Yes, we regret this. We have contacted you in the hopes of averting a second tragedy. Data. I too hope to avert a second tragedy. How do you propose I do this? Tepeth. Heed the Sentinel. Get away. Then seek refuge through reason or through passion. This is the only way. Data. Through reason or through passion? Are you suggesting that either extreme will stimulate the will to live? Tepeth nods. Tepeth. The Vulcan explorers who discovered the Void saved themselves with logic. They were able to escape the effects of the Void by accepting it as a logical consequence of creation. The humans on your ship would not be able to follow the same path as Vulcans, but they might be able to save themselves by retreating down into their physicality, their passions. It is a downward path, but it is a defense against the void, and it may, in the stronger of your species, eventually reverse itself. Data. I myself have just witnessed such a reversal. Tepeth scrutinizes Data. Tepeth. And you do not suffer from the same malaise as the others on your ship? Data. No, I do not. I am an android. I am incapable of feeling that life is not worth living. Moreover, I too accept the void as a logical consequence of creation. The sentinel, however, strikes me as illogical. Tepeth, please explain. Data. Logic is the Vulcan way of life. One would expect that the Vulcans who first discovered the void would have accepted it as a logical reality and done no more. But instead, they constructed the sentinel and programmed it to ward away wayfarers, which suggests that they considered the void a threat, presumably to other Vulcans. Sage Selleck's ignorance of the Sentinel and the Sentinel's absence from your historical records would seem to confirm this. Tepeth takes this all in and remains silent for a few moments. Tepeth, what conclusion do you draw? Data, my conclusion is that the discovery of the Void so shocked the Vulcan race that you felt compelled to sublimate and repudiate your emotional selves in an act of racial self-defense and then hide the evidence. Tepeth is silent for a few moments more, then finally goes on, neither confirming nor denying Data's conclusion. Tepeth. The existence of the Sentinel is not common knowledge among Vulcans, and we wish it to remain as such. Data. I will try to respect that wish, Tepeth. Tepeth. You have my gratitude, and my hope that you will be able to bring your shipmates to safety. Live long and prosper. Data. Live long and prosper. Data returns to Peth's hand gesture, and Tepeth vanishes from the viewer, leaving Data staring once more at the Sentinel. Interior sickbay. Data re-enters the sickbay to find Dr. Crusher still at Deanna's bedside. She looks up upon Data's appearance. 
Crusher, Data, she's come too. Data steps up to the bed. Deanna's eyes are open and she flashes Data a weak smile. She's holding Dr. Crusher's hand. Troy, hello, Data. Data, how are you feeling, Counselor? She glances at Dr. Crusher and smiles weakly once more, then looks back at Data. Troy, I'm glad to be alive. Thank you. Data, you have Dr. Crusher to thank. Troy, I have both of you to thank. Even after everything else had drifted away, I could still hear your voices, and they made me want to come back. And I know now that nothingness is not the end. I don't know what is, but there is more, and it is joyful. Dr. Crusher smiles at Deanna and Data. Crusher, maybe Jack is waiting for me after all. Deanna moans and brings her fingers up to her forehead. Crusher, what is it? Troy, I still feel such terrible anxiety and misery. The crew is being crushed. I can't bear the weight. Dr. Crusher runs her hand gently over Deanna's temple, then looks at Data. Crusher, what's our status? Data, it is not promising. Under impulse power, we can reach Starbase 23 in just over six days. But without a crew, we cannot maintain life support systems for more than two days. Crusher, well then we must find a way to get our crew back. Data thinks for a moment, recalling to Peth's advice. Data, Doctor, do you believe that a retreat to physicality might save the crew? Crusher, physicality, do you mean passion? Data, yes. Would not intense passion give a human being a peak experience, an overabundance of the will to live? Crusher thinks about what Data is suggesting. After a long while, Deanna speaks. Troy, When I was near death, I felt passionate joy, both at the thought of what lay on the other side and at hearing your voices, and it made me want to live. Crusher, and when I thought you were going to die, I felt passionate fear that I would lose you, and that made me want to live. Crusher and Deanna both look at Data. Data, the crew's wanton behavior is, in a way, a desperate search for passion. Crusher, I think you've got something there, Data. The trouble is simple stimulation doesn't quite do the trick. Because it's unfocused, and it becomes an end in itself. It's the right idea, but the wrong method. And so they sink deeper and deeper into their despair. Data. The question, then, is how do we arouse passion in a strong enough measure, in a large enough number of people, in a short time? Crusher. There must be a way. Passion can take almost limitless forms. Data. Could we arouse intense joy in 1,000 people in a short time? Crusher. No but we could arouse fear. Data cocks his head at her. She turns to Deanna. Crusher. Deanna, will you be all right if Data and I leave you for a short time? She nods, not wanting to hold them back. Troy. The life force I'm feeling from both of you has strengthened me. Keep me in your thoughts and I'll remain strong. Crusher. All right, Deanna, we will. Dr. Crusher smiles at her and squeezes her hand, then turns to Data. Crusher. Mr. Data, come with me. Data. Yes, doctor. And without telling Data where she's taking him, she leaves, and Data can do nothing but follow. Interior engineering. Data and Dr. Crusher stand on either side of the main console in engineering, tense and hesitant. Crusher, are you ready? Data, yes I am. I believe this is our best hope. Crusher, so do I. Dr. Crusher still seems a bit hesitant, so Data steps into the breach. Data, computer. Voice print identify, Lieutenant Commander Data, 2nd Officer, USS Enterprise. Computer. Voice print identification confirmed. Crusher. All right. Computer. Voice print identify. Dr. Beverly Crusher, medical officer, USS Enterprise. Computer. Voice print identification confirmed. Data. Begin self-destruct sequence 11010110010011010101. Data looks at the doctor who is supposed to complete the code. She looks down, hesitating, then takes a deep breath, looks up in Data, and nods. Crusher. Begin self-destruct sequence 11010110100010101101. There is a momentary pause as the computer sets the wheels in motion. Computer. Self-destruct code confirmed. Specify time delay. Data. Time delay of 7 minutes. Computer. Time delay confirmed. Data. Begin self-destruct sequence. Crusher, begin self-destruct sequence. Computer, self-destruct sequence has begun. Data, computer, broadcast the countdown shipwide. Computer, affirmative. Data and Crusher look at each other as the computer begins to count down from seven minutes. 
Crusher is galvanized. Crusher, be back here in six minutes. Interior 10 forward. Data enters 10 forward and walks toward the bar. The place is even more crowded, noisy, and unsavory looking than before. In fact, it is so noisy that even the computer's countdown can't be heard. Data walks right up to Riker, who is still sitting right where he left him. Riker looks terrible. Data, Commander Riker. Riker looks up at him. Data, I knew you'd be back. Given up the ship, have you? Data, no, sir, I am in command. I came to get your help to save the ship. Riker, oh, no, I gave that up, remember? Data, sir, you must listen to me. The ship's self-destruct sequence has been activated. Riker stops and eyes him suspiciously. Riker, by whom? Data, by me, sir. Riker, you and who else? It takes two officers. Data, Dr. Crusher completed the command. Riker smiles at him, not really believing his story. Riker, well then why don't you and Dr. Crusher just abort the sequence and leave me alone? Data, I'm afraid that would be impossible, sir. I have erased the abort code from my memory. Since two officers are needed to abort the sequence, your participation is required. Riker hesitates. He still doesn't believe it. Riker, you haven't. Data nods. Data, yes, sir, I have. Riker finally turns away from him back to his drink. He is not at all sure of himself. Riker, you haven't the guts. Data, sir, the computer is broadcasting the self-destruct countdown shipwide. Perhaps you would believe it if you heard it. Riker tries his best to ignore Data and to remain unconcerned, but he can't seem to help wondering. Data waits patiently as Riker fidgets with his drink. Data, sir... Riker jumps up from his barstool and turns to face the crowd. Riker, everybody, shut up! I said shut up! With that, he picks up his barstool and hurls it against the mirror behind the bar. The burst of shattering glass quiets the place down in a hurry. Riker listens closely to the voice of the computer as it becomes audible. Computer, five minutes, four minutes, 59 seconds, 58, 57. The crowd is stupefied. Riker turns on Data with a glower. Riker, did you really erase the abort code from your memory? Data, yes, sir, I did. Riker, you really did it, you son of a... Riker hauls off and slugs Data across the jaw. Data goes reeling across a nearby table, knocking it to the floor. A burly man at the table rises with a growl and takes a swing at Riker, who swings back and knocks him into someone else. Within moments, the entire bar has erupted into a brawl with Riker at its center. Data gets up and watches, avoiding punches and bodies, and never swinging back. Ultimately, Riker finds Data, and with a gleam in his eye, pulls back his fist and takes aim. Data looks at him calmly. Data, Commander, I am now beginning to understand the futility of life. Riker stops, his raised arm suddenly frozen in the air, and looks at Data, then at the chaos around him. Interior Holodeck Captain Picard sits in the holographic image of Dixon Hill's office, the radio blaring big band music. Dressed in period costume, Picard sits behind the desk, staring into space, thinking. He pulls open his desk drawer and pulls out a revolver. He idly checks the chamber and finds a single bullet loaded. He flips it shut and twirls the chamber once, then again. He looks at it closely as a thought occurs to him. He spins the chamber once again, then raises the gun slowly to his head. Crusher off-screen. Jean-Luc! Picard looks up to see Dr. Crusher standing just inside the doorway to his office. Crusher, if you're going to do it, why not do it for real? She tosses him a phaser, which he catches only after dropping the revolver to the floor. He looks at the phaser, then up at Crusher. He seems to be waking from a dream. Interior Engineering Picard and Crusher arrive in engineering to find Riker and Data waiting at the main console. The computer continues its countdown in the background. 43, 42, 41, 40. Picard calls out to it immediately. Picard, computer, voice print identify Jean-Luc Picard, Captain, USS Enterprise. Computer, voice print identified. Riker, computer, voice print identify William Riker, first officer, USS Enterprise. Computer, voice print identified. Picard, Computer, abort self-destruct sequence, code 01101111100101101110. Riker, computer, abort self-destruct sequence, code 01101111100101110. Computer, abort code confirmed. Picard, abort self-destruct sequence. Riker, abort self-destruct sequence. Computer, self-destruct sequence aborted. 
With that, there is dead silence in the engineering room as everyone, data excluded, takes a long, slow, relieved breath. The four officers exchange grave looks for a few moments until one of them finally breaks out into a smile and the others, data included, follow suit. Riker, I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel like running up and down every inch of passageway on this ship. Picard, I may join you, Will. He looks at Dr. Crusher, still smiling and trying to return to normal breathing. Picard, I feel rather giddy. What does the doctor prescribe? Crusher, what you've got isn't the sickness, Jean-Luc, it's the cure. Riker, what exactly has been happening? Data, the entire crew of the Enterprise, like the crew of the Patesh before them, was succumbing to the void. It was Dr. Crusher's idea to frighten you all out of your malaise by engaging the ship's self-destruct sequence. Crusher, Data suggested that we try to induce an overabundance of the will to live in all of you. Riker, well, it worked. But to be honest with you, I'd rather just get this feeling from playing jazz any day. Picard considers the situation with great curiosity. Picard, Beverly, how is it that you were unaffected by the void? Crusher, I'll explain later. Right now, I have some patience to attend to. Crusher leaves with a smile, and Riker turns to Data. Riker, Deanna and Worf, are they all right? Data, I believe they will be, sir. Picard, and the ship, Data. Data, the outlook for the ship has improved considerably in the past several minutes. Riker looks across the console at Captain Picard. Riker, there is still the Sentinel to consider. Data, no, Commander, there's not. I have used power from the impulse engines to propel the Sentinel and the Void out of the galaxy and into the deepest remoteness of space. Picard sighs. Data, I believe you have saved us all from ourselves. Data considers this for a moment, then shakes his head decisively. Data, no, Captain, you have all saved yourselves. All you could see was the worst in life, and yet, given the choice between all and nothing, you chose all. Picard, yes, we chose all, and all the joy and misery that entails. After a moment, Riker addresses the Captain. Riker, Captain, shall we restore order to the ship? Picard nods slowly, pleased to return to command. Picard, gentlemen, make it so. The end. A few months after my agent and I submitted the script to the Star Trek offices, I got a call from one of the producers, a man named Joel Minoski, and he invited me to come in and pitch story ideas for Star Trek The Next Generation. And I will get to those stories in an upcoming episode. But next time, I'm going to be talking about Godzilla.